the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But in the same way, I'm sure there are nice people. But being a Christian isn't about being nice. It's about recognizing that you're lost. That none of us are nice enough. That each of us have our own selfish desires. And you know, God is so merciful. I wonder sometimes that he should answer any of my prayers after all the junk that's in my heart. All the selfishness that oftentimes goes side by side with my requests. Truly, it is, is it, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen? So often I think the Lord does something so good for me, and I go, why did you do that? I don't deserve that. I, I, I deserve something much worse. But you're, not only do you not give me what's worse, you, you bless me beyond my wildest imagination. You drop this blessing into my lap when, when I, what I deserve is to be punished. This is kindness. Uh, so often that's what breaks my heart and drives me to the cross where I just come running back to my daddy, running back to my heavenly father. Hello and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. So far in Genesis, we have seen God deal with and bless one specific family line out of all the peoples of the world, a lineage that would one day bless every person on the earth. It started with a promise to bless Abraham with a nation and a land. We have followed this lineage down to Jacob. Last we saw in Genesis chapter 30, Jacob's two wives, Rachel and Leah, were at odds and made a competition to bear Jacob's children. Each woman was never satisfied. They continually tried winning the affection of their husband. This tore the family apart and doubled the amount of women Jacob was married to. We will continue to see the tragic harm this type of selfish behavior does to a family as we continue with Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 30, verse 17. Now the lights are out somewhere else <laughs> as well, not uh, physically, but spiritually for Jacob's family. You know, it's interesting when before God destroyed the world with a flood, he described what it was like. He said it was violent. He said people were marrying, giving in marriage. And the idea there is that it was whole hum. The whole idea of, of viewing family, the whole idea of viewing that marriage covenant uh, was treated with whole hum. It wasn't treated with sanctity. And, and you know, uh, how applicable. <laughs> you know, Jesus said in the, in, when in the days, of, like the days of Noah, will be like the time when he returns. You know, so, so how applicable to our lives, um, the, the times that we live in and the things that we're about to study. There was violence in how people treated one another, violence how they treated the marriage relationship, violence in how the family interacted. And, and so many of our, our family problems today are rooted in that same ho-hum mindset toward God's standard for family. You know, I, I uh, was on uh, Facebook and I noticed uh, uh, someone linked an article to how uh, a couple of the men uh, families, I don't even know what you call them, from sister wives were 
uh, are now applying for their polygamous marriage license because they said, well, this ruling has come out, you know, and, and of course, you know, you kind of want to scream at the monitor and go, we told you, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, and, uh, oh, I can't believe people are doing this. You know, like, well, when you, you start to redefine things that are wrong as right, then how can you call the other things that are wrong, wrong? You, you don't have that ability anymore. And, and so, you know, God's desire is that we would not have that ho-hum standard, uh, mindset towards his standard for family. And, and in Jacob's family, we've seen how all of God's design is ignored and then the consequences that followed. We saw the competition brewing between Leah and, and, and Rachel and, and Jacob's own frustration. You know, Rachel comes to him, what, are you trying to kill me? You know, you can't give me any kids? Like he was giving Leah preferential treatment and, 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 and Jacob says, am I God? You know, take your problem to the source, lady. And, and so we see that, that they they settle instead of bringing things to the Lord for alternate solutions, fleshly solutions. And so Jacob's wives go from two to four and, and the family situation just gets worse and worse. And so when we come now here to verse 17 in chapter 30, we begin to see the end game for each member. And the sad part is you look at all of them, each of them thinks they're winning. It's the truth. You look at it, I mean, Leah thinks she's winning. Rachel thinks she's going to be winning. Jacob thinks he's winning. Laban thinks he's winning. And in reality, everything is falling apart. And so as we see these wrong attitudes towards family, you know, might it kindle in us a, a biblical mindset that our families would be grounded in God's standards. So let's, uh, let's read through, uh, let's pick it up in verse 14, and we'll pick up our study in verse 17. And Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest. And remember, Reuben's probably under seven years old by this time, probably six. Went in the days of the wheat harvest, and he found mandrakes. Those are those love apples. They were considered an aphrodisiac and a fertility uh, strengthener. And he found these love apples in the field, and he brought them home to his mother Leah. All happy. Mom, Dad will want to be with you tonight, you know, because I found you some love apples. But then Rachel looks over to Leah and says, hey, give me, I pray you, some of your son's mandrakes, his love apples. And she said unto her, is it a small matter that you have taken my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And so Rachel said, well, therefore he shall, he'll sleep with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Jacob came out of the field in the evening and Leah went out to meet him with a big smile on her face and said, you, that's not in there, that's just my interpretation. You must come in unto me. For surely I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. Now, it's every guy's dream that his wife comes out and is like, you come here, you know. That's what every guy wants, but not like this, all right? Not like this, like I paid for you tonight. That, that just, there's something all wrong about that, that, you know, it's just all messed up. It's not the same. You must lie with me tonight because I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And so he lay with her that night. Verse 17. And God hearkened unto Leah. And she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my hire because I have given my maiden to my husband. as she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. Here we see Leah's twisted understanding of victory. She 
sleeps with Jacob and ends up getting pregnant. It says, God hearkened unto Leah. So it's interesting. We don't actually see her praying, but having two more children uh, appears to be God's answer, God's mercy to her again. I don't want to go into this tonight because I went into it last week, but God's not answering her because she's being so faithful because her heart's in the right spot. If that was the case, none of us would ever have kids, okay? But God gives children their gracious gifts, gracious gifts to anyone who has them. None of us deserve them. None of us can ever be good enough to have them. But he's their gracious gifts from God. So God hearkened. She had been praying unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. But look at Leah's reasoning here. She says, God has given me my hire. He's rewarded me is basically what she's saying, because I have given my maiden to my husband. You know, it's interesting. This harkens back to what she had done previously, which was what? She has four children, remember? And by the end of that, she gets her heart fixed on the Lord again. And then, you know, Rachel's like, oh, I am not being one up by sister. And so she gives her handmaid to Jacob, and she has two kids through him that are now technically hers. And so Leah panics, and she tries it too. And remember, of course, you know, one of the kids' names means it worked. And so, but what happened was, is even though she had those two other kids through another woman, that didn't help her out at all. And it only brought more disappointment. And I imagine that's probably what prompted her prayers. And God answered. And you know, God is so merciful. I wonder sometimes that he should answer any of my prayers after all the junk that's in my heart. All the selfishness that oftentimes goes side by side with my requests. Truly, it is, is it, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen? So often I think the Lord does something so good for me, and I go, why did you do that? I, I don't deserve that. I, I, I deserve something much worse. But you're, not only do you not give me what's worse, you, you bless me beyond my wildest imagination. You drop this blessing into my lap when, when I, what I deserve is to be punished? This is kindness. Uh, so often that's what breaks my heart and drives me to the cross where I just come running back to my daddy, running back to my heavenly father. Well, Leah, again, she misinterprets it and she says, well, God has rewarded me. Issachar means he brings a reward. God has rewarded me because I have given my maiden to my husband. See, Rachel gave her handmaid to Jacob eagerly because she's just trying to one-up her sister. But Leah did so hesitantly because what she's really looking for is to be loved. And so she was surprised when it worked. She didn't move forward that way. But she thinks, well, you know what? I think God's rewarding me for my unselfishness in sharing my husband. That is so messed up. And that's what sin does to our thinking. Sin takes our thinking and it looks at something that God calls an abomination and says, oh, it's love. Oh, you know, but we're, we're happy together. You know, I know we're, ne- we're never going to get married. We're just going to, you know, live together because we just love each other. I, I had a guy, a boss, when I was a teenager working at Taco Bell, and, you know, and he lived with the same woman for 24 years. And I just looked at him. I said, why don't you just marry the woman, man? You're, you're, you're living with her. Just, just make it real. And he goes, why ruin it with marriage? But, you know, there's something interesting about that. There is something interesting about that. Because you know what? they probably don't have as many problems because there's not an enemy trying to break them apart. Something Beverly told me once, I remember years after we were married, she goes, you know, the enemy tries to get you together in unbiblical ways before you're married, and then he tries to pull you apart in unbiblical ways after you're married. Isn't that sick? But that's what he does, right? He tries to get you to be intimate or or to treat each other in ways you shouldn't treat when you're not married, and then after you're married, what does he try to do? He tries to keep you apart. 
keep you away from that intimacy, the true intimacy that God designed in the Garden of Eden. Oh, how sin warps our thinking. We are so far afield right now with, with what's going on here in this family situation. I don't even know what to say. You know, it's very similar to the things that we see today, you know? Well, we're so excited. You know, there's in England, um, they already passed many, many years ago laws that made gay marriage okay in England. And, and so right now, the Church of England is being sued by two very wealthy gay individuals who, who they say, we want to get married in our church and our pastor will do it, but the Church of England forbids it. And so they're suing the church. You say, you know, people, I remember when people say, why would anybody even want to get married in a church if they're, you know, you know, they're living that type of a life. Obviously they, you know, they, they don't share our value system, but that's, it's not what it's about. Sin warps our thinking. What happens is we look at something that God calls perversion. We can name it across the board. I know I'm picking on one thing right now. We can go all those things perversion. And if you don't think that it's perversion there, just it, the parts don't work that way. Okay. We, we take it and, and we, he takes it and he twists it and he, he tries to turn what's upside down right side up and say, no, this is good. This is love. These are nice people. I'm sure they're nice people. But we don't, none of us are by nature nice. The Bible says there's not good and one good, no, not one. So when we say they're nice people, it's the same thing. And if you're going to use a standard of, well, you know, they're not mean, you know, or they, they go, they're not killing people. You know, I, mean, I love that. We you know when you share with somebody, you share the gospel with them and you say, you know, do you think you're a good or a bad person? Well, I haven't killed anybody lately. That's great, you know. That is awesome. You you've just qualified for what? Like 99.8% of the population. You've not separated yourself from really anybody except people like Charles Manson and Adolf Hitler, which are not exactly the top of the litter. But in the same way, I'm sure there are nice people. But being a Christian isn't about being nice. It's about recognizing that you're lost. That none of us are nice enough. That each of us have our own selfish desires. You know, we say, well, 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 you know, but they don't have to have your moral code. They have their own moral code. Listen, I don't know about you, but I talk to unsaved people. They don't even keep their own moral code. Oh, my code, I just don't hurt anybody. Oh, you've never hurt anybody in your entire life. Did you not hurt anybody this week? How are you doing on that? Is it like a 75% thing? You know, 60? Our own heart condemns us because we don't live up to our own standards. Sin warps our thinking. Well, Leah conceived again, verse 19. She bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God has endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. The word there, dwell, actually means to exalt or to raise to a higher status. You know, it's interesting. Jacob had no dowry for her. Remember, he worked for her. She didn't give Laban anything. And we learn later in Genesis 31, 15, that Laban spent all that money that Jacob was earning for during those seven years. All the, the labor he was saving by getting free labor from Jacob, Laban spent every penny of it. Why, now, you know why they gave a dowry? The reason they gave a dowry is if he ever decided to divorce her and just kick her out, as she could go back home and that dowry money would be there to take care of her. That's what they gave it for. But see, Leah, she's got nothing to go back to. And she doesn't have a husband who loves her. It's not a very secure place to be. There's nothing to go back to if Jacob left her. And so she believed, well, the sixth son was like God's dowry for her. Jacob could never leave me now because I've given him six sons and eventually he'll have elevate me to the status of the woman he loves. You know, my heart breaks for all these, four of these women. You know, look at, think of Bilhah and Zilpah. They're just used as instruments, you know. And honestly, there's no even dignity to that. The way most people believe that whole process took place, it's not even like they got to sleep alone with the man. My heart breaks for all four of these women. But Leah in particular, because she just wanted to be loved. She just wanted to be loved. If I could encourage anything to you ladies out there, and particularly you single ladies, 
Don't let that desire cause you to settle. Don't let that desire that you want to be loved so badly cause you to settle. Find a man who is crazy about you and who becomes your best friend. That's what you look for. Find a man who is crazy about you and becomes your best friend. Well, there's one more mention here of Leah before we close out her story for so far and says in verse 21, and afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now, according to Genesis 35, 37 verse 35, Jacob had many daughters. They aren't mentioned because daughters were seen as financial liabilities. Sorry, ladies, it's just how it was, okay? If you, back in that day, if you gave, you know, everybody the, she's in labor, she's going to the labor, great. Everybody set up and they got ready to throw a party. If it was a boy, they had the party. If it was a girl, everybody went home. I'm just, that's how it was. Because you were considered a financial liability. That's how it was. If a boy was born, it meant, all right, I got another guy to go out and work in the field, another person to help me with the business. If you were a gal, well, Looks like I've got to buy all sorts of stuff for somebody who's not giving me anything back. Now, why does Dinah, therefore, get mentioned when the others don't? Well, she has her own story to tell later on, so we're simply introduced to her here. So you have to keep coming to find out where her story is. (laughs) The return of Genesis. All right, verse 22. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her. And he opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Now, let me remind you, God never forgot Rachel. And the word remember, anytime we see that phrase that the Lord remembered in the Bible, it means that God began to work actively in that person's life. Sometimes when we see Almighty God trying to communicate with us, he uses phrases in our language but obviously they don't really communicate the vastness of what he's doing. So he's beginning to work actively in her life again. And it mentions that he hearkened unto her, so she was praying too. Perhaps she saw everything backfire on her and only create more problems. Perhaps she got worn out trying to keep up with her sister. But either way, she humbles herself and cries out to God. And like Leah's case, in God's kindness, he answers. And so she conceived and she bore a son and said, God has taken away my my reproach, the state of dishonor or low status that would be due to her barrenness. If you were a barren woman back then, you were married and you didn't have kids, you were considered cursed. Again, that's not, I'm not saying it's right, it's just how it was. And, and so she says, now God's taken away that, that status, that low status, and now people will see me as being fruitful. And she called his name Joseph. And Joseph is kind of a double name. It means taking away and adding. And so the idea is that God would take away her reproach, her low status, but she also saw it as a promise of more children to come. For she says here, the Lord shall add to me another son. So Joseph's name is both a recognition of God's answer, but it's interesting, it's also a statement of her unrepentance. (laughs) For in Joseph, she sees the competition as still on. I'm going to have more. He's just the first of a whole load of kids that's coming. One that will result in great pain, though. This competition will result in great pain for Joseph because all the brothers see it. You know, we're going to see that Jacob favored Joseph, which if you have children, that's not a good idea. It's never a good idea. Me and my brothers, we always chuckle on Mother's Day or my mom's birthday or something like that, and we'll write at the end of the card, your favorite son. And, uh, and so we're always competing to see who can make mom cry the most or something like that. That's all in good fun. 
But if you really do have a favored child, that's not good. It never ends well because everyone sees. Everyone sees. Now you say, but wait a second. Well, I thought you said she humbled herself and prayed. How can she be unrepentant? Well, there is a humility that doesn't lead to change. It's the humility that comes when you're busted. It recognizes my need for God, but it's unwilling to do what he says. Paul calls it the sorrow of the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to read it real quick. But in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, he says, For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world produces death. It produces things that don't last. And Rachel's mindset will not last. And it will be carried on through Joseph. Well, verse 25. Now it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go unto my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service which I have done to you. This shows us then that Joseph was born around the end of Jacob's 14 years of work. So all the previous chapter events in the chapter uh, 30, they occur in the last seven years. That's when, he remember, he didn't get Leah until he had worked seven years. That's why I believe Reuben's probably only six years old at the time of the events of that chapter. But he comes to Laban, and he is very forceful. He says, send me away, give me my wife, give me my kids, I'm out of here. Prior to that, he would be considered no more than an indentured servant. And as such, his wives and his children would belong to his master. And so at this point, he goes, I have served my 14 years, I am done, give me my wife, give me my kids, I am out of here, I'm going home. Remember, Jacob came here, why? He was fleeing the wrath of Esau and to find a wife. He's got more than one wife. He's got that. And surely in 14 years, Esau must have cooled off. And plus, he's got no money here. So that inheritance back home that's waiting for him, remember that he swindled from Esau? That's probably looking really good right now. He's ready to go home, and he demands his release to do so. But Laban has other ideas, because having Jacob around has been very good for him. Verse 27. And Laban said unto him, and there's the sense this is something done in public, done official before like uh, the elders or the courts, you know, of the city. Laban said unto him, I pray you, if I have found favor in your eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And he said unto me, appoint me your wages and I will give it to you. Laban pressures Jacob now to stay. He says, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, the word there means to have fondness or affection for somebody. I guarantee you Jacob had zero affection or fondness for Laban. Not after he had swindled him and swindled an extra seven years of work out of him by slipping Leah into the uh, wedding chamber. But he also carries now a religious weight. He says, I have learned by experience. Literally that means I have practiced divination. I've read the omens. And the gods tell me that I am blessed for your sake. Interesting. Laban portrays himself in a very positive light. He appeals to family love and the divine plan of God or the gods or whoever he worships, we don't know, so that Jacob will not leave him impoverished. You know, take everything away from me that matters to me and and leave me impoverished. But you know, as I said, Jacob, I don't think had any affection for this man who swindled him. I really don't think he cares what the gods had told Laban. But he's in a bind here because to lash out and accuse Laban of being a swindler would look very bad on him like he's not grateful at all. Plus, he'd be leaving the same way he came. 
with absolutely zero funding. No funds, no nothing, no possessions at all. And he's got four wives and at this point 11 kids to take care of and all sorts of other you know, needs that might be their daughters as well. So Jacob does what he does best. He outswindles the swindler. Now what should have Jacob done? We should have gone home. He should have trusted the Lord, should have thanked God, thanked Laban for his offer and trusted God for his financial well-being. But Jacob sees an opening in Laban's offer to get back and he plunges right through it. Leah and Rachel mistook the blessing of having children as God's acceptance of their actions. Not only did they not repent of their selfish behavior, they continued to divide the family apart. This is no environment to raise children in, as we will see in the future. God desires to bless us. It is His kindness that draws us back to Him. If you are in sin and feel like all things are fine, it is only God's mercy and patience, hoping you will repent and come back to Him. He loves you. But if you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.